Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is March the 24th, 2023. The calendar keeps moving right along, and the craziness keeps on moving right along. Pardon me. Those of you that have been following TikTok have seen incredibly bipartisan cooperation on figuring out the dangers that TikTok produces for America based on its ties to China. And it's incredible. We actually saw Democrats and Republicans alike expressing serious concerns about the well-being of Americans and the impact that TikTok is having, especially on American kids. You think, or you would think, or you would like to think, that any issue that impairs the safety or the security of our citizens should be considered bipartisan or perhaps better yet, nonpartisan. I find it incredible that TikTok is a place where Democrats and Republicans can agree, but it seems to be the only place they can agree with all the threats that we're facing. Drugs pouring across the borders in record quantities, tens of thousands of Americans dying because of fentanyl poisoning, others dying because of drug overdoses, cocaine, heroin, meth, you name it. And it seems like every other week there's a new, even more deadly and debilitating drug that's out there being consumed by Americans. And meanwhile, you have the Democrat left, the lunatic left, insisting on minimizing the penalties for people that are caught with drugs, minimize the significance of the war on drugs, so-called, legalizing drugs, providing opportunities for people to shoot up heroin with free needles. It's insanity. It's insanity. Now, look, you know, if you're familiar with me, I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. It's not about my attacking the Democrat Party. I'm attacking the sanity and the wisdom of what they're doing. But where in the world are the Republicans? And I'm going to come back to something I've been saying and saying repeatedly. Why in the world aren't the Republicans sponsoring public service announcements on TV the way they've done with cigarettes? They haven't done the cigarettes, but other people. Cigarette smoking dropped precipitously, not only because it's illegal to smoke in office buildings. There's a lot of things that are illegal. Crime doesn't seem to much matter anymore because you have all these municipalities that refuse to prosecute people. Unless there's a political agenda, then it becomes a whole different story. But you would think the idea of discouraging drug use would be everyone's priority. You would think that the Republicans, if the Democrats don't want to do it, should be posting ads on TV, ads on the Internet, everywhere warning people about fentanyl, warning people about the dangers of drugs. And all you hear are crickets. I suspect that the reason is that too many people are making money off the drug trade. Drug money 
is being laundered through the banks, through real estate, through the stock market, you name it, and drug money somehow is being washed through those various systems. We have an economy that's floating on drugs, and you have people dying in record numbers, families being destroyed, lives being ruined, and all we hear are crickets. And it's not just the southern border. And adding to all of this, you have a statement by the general in charge of Central Command when he testified before the Senate last week, and I talked about this last week. And the statement that he made is that, um, and this, by the way, is General Michael Carrillo, the, the head of the U.S. Central Command, that ISIS-K in, within the next six months will be in the position, in his judgment, and the judgment of his staff, to carry out terror attacks in Europe and Asia against American interests. He seems to think that it's not as likely that they would do this here in, in the United States. I, I wish I could share that optimistic view. <clears throat> we have so many people here now, we have no idea who they are. And I want to remind you that on September 11, 2001, the world was changed when America was attacked, and that attack was carried out by just 19 terrorists. 19. Those 19 terrorists killed more people than we lost to the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, and the death counts from the attacks of 9-11 continues. Billions of dollars have been appropriated to treat the victims. And the money always seems to be running low because more people are becoming sick, more people are dying, and it was predicted that this would happen. Cancer doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes it takes years or decades for it to rear its ugly, dangerous head. And now it's happening. And people are not only dying, but they're dying and suffering at the same time. It's not an easy death. <clears throat> and you would think that everybody would be in agreement. We're hearing that there's a general in, in the right position to know telling the U.S. Senate at a hearing that within six months we can basically expect to see terror attacks around the world with no warning that ISIS will have that ability. And in large measure, this happened because of the way that the U.S. withdrew its troops from Afghanistan. And in fact, ISIS-K was responsible for the suicide bombing at Kabul airport as we were leaving. You would think that the 9-11 Commission report would be a key issue. Now, what's so remarkable about that 9-11 Commission report is that after <clears throat> the attack or the riot more properly at the Capitol on January 6th, and many Democrats immediately said, we need a 9-11-style commission to investigate what happened. And now, if you read the articles, it turns out that there were a lot of informants floating around. Uh, so you really have to wonder what this is really about. You have to wonder what it's about. You have to wonder how it's an insurrection on January 6th. It wasn't an insurrection when 70 or 80 Secret Service officers were injured at the White House as rioters attempted to storm the gates, and President Trump and his family had to be moved to a safe <clears throat> facility in the basement of the White House. That wasn't an insurrection. We've got to be even-handed. Equity is not the same thing as equality. We should be looking for equality of justice, that equal protection applies to everybody irrespective of political orientation. When people make a case for persecution, 
because they want asylum in the United States, <clears throat> what they have to prove, what provide is a credible proof of persecution based on race, religion, ethnicity, political orientation, sexual orientation. If we are at the point where people are not being given equal protection under the law based on political belief, we're talking about persecution. And I don't care who is suffering, because democracy suffers, and democracy is fragile. And I had many issues with Ronald Reagan. I I didn't agree with him on on, on a number of issues. I certainly didn't agree with him at his amnesty. I didn't agree with him uh, on the visa waiver program or the diversity visa, which he set in motion that it was George Herbert Walker Bush who signed into law. But I will tell you that Reagan said something worth considering. He said that democracy is never more than one generation from extinction. And once you have a two-tier justice system, and it is determined by your political orientation, we're done. We're done. Political orientation should have absolutely less than nothing to do with equal protection under the law. Nor should race, nor should religion, nor should ethnicity. And the way that the attacks continue about white privilege, uh, basically sending the message that, you know, some Americans are better than others, causing resentment, causing strife. This is not a united States of America, at least not today, and certainly not with this insanity being foisted on us. And if everyone is so darn concerned about TikTok, and we should be, then why aren't people looking at all the other things that are happening to this great nation to undermine our national security, our public safety, our educational system, our health care system? Every system in America is under attack, and flooding America with millions of people who have had no inherent right to be here overwhelms our systems. In fact, I had written an article back when Biden was uh, about to be sworn in, and when he was talking about comprehensive reform, I said, you know, I used to call it the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act, this notion of giving millions of illegal aliens lawful status without the capacity to interview them, let alone do a field investigation. And that name still sticks in my world. But I have another term that we should be using. It's the Overwhelm America Act. There's been a drought in the West. Yes, California is being flooded. I know that. But there are still parts in the West that are really having a severe water shortage. And I've talked about it before. Biden supposedly allowed in 5 million. I don't even know what the numbers are because everyone's just focusing on the southern border and there's many more issues to the immigration system than the southern border. We're going to talk about it tonight. But just think about this. If let's say that number 5 million is accurate, on average, every human being in America or anywhere else in the world requires 100 gallons of water a day for drinking, for cooking, for sanitary purposes, 100 gallons of water on average. If you allow in 5 million people who shouldn't be here, you're talking about the consumption of 500 of water each and every day by people who have no right to be here. And let's understand something. Aliens do not have an inherent right to enter the United States. It's an important concept. It's been lost in the discussions. It's been lost in the propaganda, the lies, and the nonsense. When I was an inspector at Kennedy Airport, that's how I began my 30-year career with the INS. I spent four years as an inspector at the airport. During training, it was made abundantly clear that there's a clear distinction between U.S. citizens and the rest of the world, aliens. 
okay, the word that nobody wants to use anymore because it's factually accurate and descriptive, and these people are con artists, and con artists change the language in order to befuddle the issue, confuse the people, obscure everything that's going on. It's a con game. But the point is that when a person walks into a booth at a port of entry, the inspector conducts an inspection of that person to determine, number one, are they an American citizen? Number two, if they're an alien, are they admissible or inadmissible based on law? And the section of law that deals with admissibility or inadmissibility is Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182. And I frequently include that link in my articles at Front Page Magazine so you can have it as ready access for reference. Because it proves irrefutably that immigration isn't about race or religion, ethnicity, or any of this other nonsense or bigotry or hatred. It's about keeping out aliens with dangerous communicable diseases. Think COVID. Think about Ellis Island as a quarantine station, right? Aliens who are severely mentally ill and prone to violence. Aliens who are criminals and terrorists, spies, human rights violators, war criminals, fugitives from justice. Aliens who were previously deported and aliens who, if they worked, would displace American workers and drive down wages for Americans who are similarly employed. That's what it's about. Okay. Who in their right mind could be opposed to enforcing those laws? And, in fact, the Democrats used to be the strongest on that because they wanted to protect the jobs and wages of middle-class and blue-collar workers. That used to be their base. Used to be. Bernie Sanders was on with Bill Barr a couple of weeks ago talking about how increasingly Americans no longer see the Democrat Party as the party of working America. And that's where the wheels came off the wagon. There used to be balance in the system. The Republicans looked out for the business owners and the Democrats looked out for the workers. Both sides have legitimate concerns. And so by looking at both sides of the labor management equation, we had balance in the system and the system worked. Now immigration has become a system that delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor. And it's not just the illegals. It's the visas and everything else under the sun. It delivers an unlimited supply of foreign tourists and foreign students, and most importantly, an unlimited supply of clients, both for law firms and, as we're seeing with the illegal aliens, for these NGOs, these non-government organizations, laughably referred to as nonprofits, even as they rake in hundreds of millions of dollars in contracts from the federal government to care for the aliens. Insanity. So what we're really looking at now is... A, a, a problem where we have no clue who we're letting in. We are undermining national security. And when I looked at that statement by that general saying that we're liable to be attacked, I thought, my gosh, here we go again. And I've written about this repeatedly. I've written about it in almost every of my articles. I've testified before Congress about the nexus between immigration failures and national security, public safety, crime, drugs, Terrorism. But when an alien walks into that booth, that inspector's responsibility is, number one, to determine if the person is who they claim they are, using whatever tools are available, and then make that distinction between alien and citizen. Now, why do we make that distinction? As soon as the inspector is convinced that the person is a U.S. citizen standing in that booth, that person is no longer subject to inspection, but their documents are subject to examination. It might sound like a trivial point, but it's not. Because under no circumstances can the United States deny a U.S. citizen entry into the United States of America. 
This is their home. They're here. And they have every right to come into this country, even if their passport has expired, even if they have a, their passport was lost. If there's a way of proving that the person is a U.S. citizen, we'll deal with the document issue. But the first issue to be dealt with is the understanding that that person has an absolute, complete right to enter the United States. Now, we may hold them because some law enforcement agency has a warrant on them, and I did that many times. People coming in from overseas, U.S. citizens, sometimes resident aliens, and there's a warrant. So we take them into custody and notify the agency that has the warrant that we've got the person they're looking for. But while we might put them in custody, we do not eject them. We do not exclude them. We do not deport them. We do not keep them out. They have every right to be here. Aliens, on the other hand, are very different. An alien seeking entry into the United States of America must prove that he or she does not belong to one or more categories of exclusion as enumerated in Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182. The burden of proof is on the alien. They do not have an inherent right to enter the United States any more than a stranger has no right to bang on your door and demand that you let them in. And if you don't, they threaten you or they kick the door in. That's called breaking, entering, and, and, and the crimes escalate quickly from there. You have an absolute right when you're living in your house to keep your door locked and tell a stranger, don't come in. I don't want to see you. I don't want you here. Turn around. Go away. That's the relationship between aliens and the U.S. government. The government of the United States has the right to say, no, you can't come in. And when we're dealing with cases of political asylum where the person's life is on the line, we don't admit them. We parole them. But what we should be doing is keeping them in custody or have them wait in Mexico with some other third country. Because if someone's claiming political asylum, unless they're a citizen of Mexico, if they're in Mexico, then they're not subject to persecution as they were in their home country. There's nothing that compels us to say, come on in. And that was why Trump uh, came up with this Remain in Mexico policy, which made perfect sense. We are not compelled to take anybody into this country who is a citizen of another country unless the person is coming directly from the country where they claim that they would face persecution. And we then have the right to hold on to them while we determine who they are and whether or not they're telling the truth. The 9-11 Commission warned about aliens seeking political asylum as a ploy to gain entry into the United States so they could go about their deadly preparations. Think of the Tsarnaya family. They came from Russia. They said they could never go back to Russia. They'd be persecuted. We gave them political asylum, whereupon they immediately went back to Russia, which is a clear indication, by the way, that they were lying. And what was interesting was I had a conversation um, with Bob Goodlatte when he was the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. He's a Republican. He's an immigration lawyer, you should know. <clears throat> and he came up with a law because of the Boston Marathon attack that the Sarnayev brothers carried out back in 2013. And he said, we need a law that says that if you apply for asylum and then you go back to your original country and there's been no regime change, we can prosecute you. Did we really need that law? What we need are the agents to enforce the standing law because it's obvious that the person lied if they say we can't go back to, in that case, Russia. They go back to Russia. What more do you need? Do you need a new law or do you need the resources to enforce the standing law? And I would argue that 90% of the time, all we need are the resources to enforce the laws that are already on the books. They're there. It's not a problem. 
We have the tools we need. We don't need more tools. We need more resources. But that's the game that gets played. It's the magic act. It's the magic act. So we're being sold this bill of goods and all these people have a right to be here. They're terrible. They're living in terrible conditions and we're going to let them in. Well, wait a moment. Wait a moment. Probably half the world or three quarters of the world lives below the poverty line. Are we supposed to allow in several billion people? It's crazy. I read an article recently that said that perhaps a billion people don't have electricity. Well, that's pretty bad. So does that mean we're now compelled to let in the people that don't have electricity or the people that don't have access to clean drinking water? This is crazy. The immigration laws, as is the case with all of America's laws, are supposed to serve the best interests of the American people. And you never hear that question asked. Think of all the press conferences, right? Saki when she was at the White House. Why do you have those midnight flights? Oh, they're not midnight flights. They're not in the middle of the night. It's early morning. And, of course, she deflected the whole thing and turned it into whether or not 2 o'clock in the morning is the middle of the night or early morning. Made a mockery of the whole deal. The question that Ducey should have asked, how are these policies in the best interests of the average American citizen, period, Full stop. Are you flying midnight flights and why are the aliens coming? And No. How is this good for America and Americans? Now, it might be good for America because America today seems to mean corporate America, which is why I've taken the position that I don't want to hear people tell me about America first. I don't. Because America first today means doing what's in the best interest of corporate America. Corporate America. You know, like General Motors, the taxpayers bailed them out, then they built factories in China, right? America first. GM's an American company, so I guess that's part of America first. Ted Cruz said that for America to lead, we need to import the world's best and brightest. Really? In order for America to lead, American workers and American students need the education and the training and access to those jobs so they can live successful, productive, happy lives while building our economy and continuing America's American dream for American citizens. And when I confronted Cruz, and I was very pleasant about it, he became irate and actually pushed me. I said, all this talk about bringing in the world's best and brightest, I said, I'm from Brooklyn, and where I come from, we have a term for the world's best and brightest. We call them Americans. And he went from happy and affable and smiling the scowling and livid. Wow. How does it help the average American to have to compete with foreign workers for jobs? How does it help the average American family when drugs flow into our country and people go out there and commit crime to get the money to buy the drugs? And at the same time, you have these policies, bail reform, where we're turning people loose. Actually, this nonsense started with immigration, didn't it? It was called catch and release. <clears throat> and the dirty little secret is catch and release didn't only apply to the Border Patrol. I can tell you as an immigration agent, I testified about this numerous times before Congress. I had occasions where I chased an illegal alien that I was about to arrest. And then I finally brought him in, and maybe there was a scuffle. My shirt got torn. He got bruised. I got bruised. He threw a punch at me, and I had to restrain him. Not everybody goes along quietly. And then I, my boss would say, well, 
how bad was your guy? Because we have 38 people or whatever, pick a number, that were arrested today, but we only have space in the jail for six. So we had a bidding contest here in New York City. My guy ran five blocks. The other guy would say, my guy ran eight blocks and threw a garbage can at me. Yeah, well, my, my guy that I arrested kicked me in the groin and, and, and lied about his name for three hours, and, and then my boss would have to sit there and decide, okay, which story is the most compelling so that we decide who gets those six beds in the jail because the rest of these people are going back to their apartments wherever they live, probably never to be seen again. Catch and release. Brilliant. Brilliant. So this is where the mockery of the justice system began, and it was the immigration system. It was the laboratory, if you will. And then the notion of catch and release now applies to criminals in our cities. Well, the guy only robbed the bank. Yeah, he pulled the gun, but he didn't pull the trigger. So we'll let him go. We'll just take away his gun. By the way, isn't it remarkable? I did a little bit of research, and I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I believe that according to Johns Hopkins last year or two years ago, there was a 2,000 uh, differential between the number of people killed by cars and the number of people killed by firearms. It was 45 versus 47 or somewhere in that range, 47,000 versus 45,000. It was in that range. <clears throat> now, what's remarkable in New York, and I'm sure it's the same way elsewhere, even if you have a carry permit, if you're caught with a gun and you're drunk, you're going to jail because you're committing a crime by carrying a firearm while you're drunk, which makes sense because your judgment is impaired. And people who have impaired judgment certainly shouldn't have a firearm any more than they shouldn't be behind the wheel of a car. So when a drunk driver mows down a bunch of kids at a school crossing, right, or some other terrible thing happens because some guy who's drunk crashes the car and kills or injures people, when there's a news report, the first thing that we are told is the blood alcohol level. The guy was twice the, the level, three times the level, two and a half times the, the legal limit. And I've never seen a politician call for car control. No. Get the nut out from behind the wheel. In fact, there's now technology so that if you're a habitual drunk, you have to blow into a device, and if you don't pass, the car won't start. It's an interlock. I think it's a great idea. But when someone goes out and does a mass shooting, do we ever hear about toxicology, what drugs were flowing through the individual's veins when he pulled the trigger repeatedly? Is it not entirely possible that the mass shooter was operating under the influence of drugs or was suffering a mental illness because of habitual drug use over time? You see, the reason I'm asking that question is because the drugs not only kill the person who overdoses, but down the road, the drugs lead to violence. It funds the gangs. It funds terrorist groups. It's funding China. It's funding Iran. I've spoken about how Hezbollah is working with the human traffickers and drug smugglers throughout Latin America to flood narcotics and people into the United States, including sleeper agents. Sleeper agents, while we're being told that six months from now, ISIS-K will be in the position to start carrying out attacks without warning. It's remarkable. <clears throat> it's absolutely remarkable. If you're not willing to have car control when a drunk mows people down, then why are we talking about gun control rather than criminal control? Get the guns out of the hands of the bad guys. I took a lot of guns off the street from some very terrible people, terrorists and child molesters and you name it, 
And I was happy to get those guns off the street. But we also took the bad guy off the street. That's the point. The point. Gun control? How about criminal control? It's amazing how language impacts how people see the issue. Language frames the debate. If you're not going to have car control, then why are we talking about gun control rather than making certain that guns comply to certain standards? I I agree with that. Okay? Um, The the caliber weapon and so forth. I know there are some Second Amendment um, advocates who will disagree with me. And by the way, that's great. We're supposed to be able to disagree. I was just watching an amazing documentary about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She came from my neighborhood. Actually, my kids went to the high school she went to. And uh, after 9-11, they invited me to address the student body. It was quite an honor. And I got a tour of the Ruth Bader Ginsburg Moot Court. Moot Court, isn't that interesting? What kids are being taught debate. Have you been following what's been happening at universities around the country where law students are, are, are shouting down federal judges? We saw that in, I believe it was Stanford in California. And the equity officer said, is the juice worth the squeeze? And she was referring to the First Amendment and freedom of speech. Freedom of speech makes some people so upset that maybe we should end freedom of speech. And these are going to be lawyers? They're going to go into a courtroom and try to win a case based on fact and have a meltdown when someone says we disagree with you? Or the judge, perhaps, having been schooled in this insanity, will say, why do we need to hear from both sides? Why can't I just make up my mind right now and say, yep, the guy's guilty. Put him in jail. What party does he belong to? Yep, he's definitely guilty. Freedom of speech goes to the heart of freedom, period. If you're not free to speak your mind, then you're no longer living in a free democratic republic. It's just that simple. It should terrify everybody. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't agree with Scalia, and Scalia didn't agree with her. And if you watch the documentary, they became very good friends. They would go to the opera together. They disagreed very often stridently, but respectfully. That's what America used to be about. We have families that won't talk to one another because one's a Democrat, the other one's a Republican. I can't talk to my daughter. She's a Democrat. can't talk to my father. He's a Republican. What are we doing? There are far more important issues than what party you belong to. And most of these parties, let me tell you, have one hell of a time trying to tell me the difference from what their ultimate goals are. And it was George Washington who absolutely abhorred the notion of political parties. Basically, you can't be a slave to two masters. You can't represent your constituents when you've got to do the bidding of the political parties that you are uh, registered with. They call the shots. Think about the position of the the whip, right? The Senate whip, the House whip. If that doesn't sound like a Tony Soprano enforcer, I don't know what does. We need to be able to sit down and have honest conversations and free exchange of information. That's why two heads work better than one. Not because the two heads agree, but because they see things differently, and by seeing things from different perspectives, sometimes you wind up with a whole new understanding of a particular issue. It's really important. Questions are so important, and it's the radical left that doesn't want to hear anything about questions because they know that they can't answer the questions, and they can't answer the questions because 
They are trying to bully America to go in the direction that they want. We saw that before on the right with Joseph McCarthy, McCarthyism. So now we've got the mirror image with the Democrats doing the same nonsense. We should be able to respect the people we disagree with, even if we disagree with them. And it doesn't mean we have to ultimately come to agree with them either. What's that wonderful saying? I disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. So you have the chief of the Central Command making a statement, and I wrote about this for Front Page Magazine, and it's really important. It's really important because if we're at the risk of a terror attack, then we should be figuring out a strategy to protect ourselves. And the the legwork has been done. It's called the 9-11 Commission Report, and the companion report was 9-11 and terrorist travel. And it was multiple systems within the immigration system that failed. It wasn't the Mexican border. In fact, the 9-11 Commission noted that most of the terrorists came through international airports with altered or fake passports or counterfeit passports or improperly issued passports under different names. And they talked about how the aliens would come in seeking political asylum or marrying an American all to get a green card so they could go about deadly preparations. And by the way, before I read what the general had to say, it's important to note that there was a hearing the day before the general went before the Senate Armed Services Committee and, and talked about the threat of terrorism. Border Patrol Chief Ortiz went before a House immigration field hearing along the Mexican border, and when he was pressed, finally conceded that we do not have operational control over the southern border in direct contradiction with what Alejandro Mayorkas had to say. We have no operational control. That means we can't keep out the drugs, we can't keep out the criminals, and we can't keep out the terrorists. It's remarkable. And if you go to my article at Front Page Magazine, I included a little video clip of Chief Ortiz, uh, that's Raul L. Ortiz, making that point. And he was asked, well, is Mayorkas lying? He said, I don't know what he's doing, but I can tell you we don't have operational control. And you had Mayorkas lying. Now, I've, I've written about Mayorkas repeatedly. He was the head of citizenship and immigration services for Obama. And he ordered the adjudicators to approve virtually every application that landed on their desk. His way of saying it was, get to yes. Make sure you approve it. And when people didn't approve it, many of them were demoted. They were written up. They they had the world collapse around them because they refused to approve petitions that legally could never be approved. He was accused of approving petitions for a company that had possible links to Iranian terrorists. He was accused of approving petitions for companies that had links to Terry McAuliffe, linked to the Clintons. ABC News did a multi-part series based on an Office of Inspector General report about the job that Mayorkas did when he was the head of Citizenship and Immigration Services. And that's an agency no one talks about. All we hear about is how many illegal aliens are there. What's the body count? Well, this president did a better job than that president because they made more arrests. Arrests don't mean anything, folks. Let me give you an example. If you think that when they make a lot of arrests, it means that the administration is tough on illegal immigration, did it ever dawn on anybody that if you look at the number of people arrested for trying to break into Fort Knox with the exception of Goldfinger, the number is probably zero? So if there's no arrests of people trying to break into Fort Knox, 
does it mean that Fort Knox is wide open, or does it mean that Fort Knox is so secure that everyone understands that it would be an act of futility to try to break in, you see? If we get better at enforcing our immigration laws, especially interior enforcement, that will discourage many of the illegal aliens from trying to come here. If you discourage them from coming, then there will be likely fewer arrests. So in that case, fewer arrests means that we're deterring lots of illegal immigration by the effective enforcement of our laws. I call it deterrence through enforcement. When there's lots of arrests, it probably means that everyone's been encouraged to come here. And why are they encouraged? Because you have Republicans and Democrats alike talking about comprehensive immigration reform. What does that mean? If you can get to the United States sooner or later, you're going to get a green card, you'll be able to bring your whole family here. And this is supposed to be a good thing. Wow. Wow. So there's a field hearing, and and I can tell you I've testified at a bunch of hearings, and you had Republicans and you had Democrats participating in the hearing. In fact, I was called by the Democrats as well as the Republicans. Sheila Jackson Lee called me for a couple of hearings. I worked with both sides of the aisle uh, away from the hearings discussing strategies and the ways to make us safer so that we don't get hit again. I've worked terrorism investigations. My very first terror, my very first fraud investigation back in 1976 caused me to trip, believe it or not, over a terror plot in Israel, and we wound up preventing the bombing of an oil refinery. I was involved with other arrests. I arrested a suspected IRA terrorist, took a gun off that guy, worked on a Colombian terrorism investigation. Terrorism is a global phenomenon. It's not just the Middle East, just like crime isn't from one flavor or the other. I I went nuts when Trump said there's a lot of bad hombres out there. I mean, Goodness gracious, I've arrested people from all over the world. I, I got an award from the government of Japan. I work closely with the Israeli National Police. I work with the Brits, the Canadians. Human nature is human nature. Every ethnicity, every race, every religion, every nationality has the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's just that simple. Okay? So we're trying to enforce laws that protect Americans. How could that be controversial? How is it controversial to enforce laws that are designed to protect the jobs and wages of Americans? How is that a partisan issue? You would think that both sides of the aisle would be standing shoulder to shoulder and saying, yes, let's protect the jobs and wages of Americans. Let's protect the lives of Americans the way they're concerned about TikTok. How is this an area for dispute? How is this about partisan politics? This is insanity. Absolute flipping insanity. But here's what the general had to say, and I I think it's important. Uh, Stars and Stripes magazine published this article March 16th, just last week. The Islamic State Network in Afghanistan will be able to attack American or Western interests outside the country in less than six months, quote, with little or no warning, unquote, the top commander for U.S. forces in the Middle East said Thursday. Army General Michael Carrilla, who leads the U.S. Central Command, told the Senate Armed Services Committee that the Islamic State's Khorasan province, commonly referred to as ISIS-K, is rapidly developing the ability to conduct, quote, external operations in Europe and Asia. The terrorist group will not be able to strike the U.S. homeland in the near future. However, I think, and this is again quoting him, I think it is higher probability overseas than it is in the homeland, Kurilla said, acknowledging hundreds of thousands of U.S. citizens living abroad could be in the range of an attack. I don't know where he gets the idea that we're not at risk here in the United States, when, you know, 
that we let in thousands of people from Afghanistan, the FBI shortly thereafter requested something like $15 million in emergency funding to be able to track these people down who've been dispersed all over the United States. Thousands. We keep hearing about how many people on the terror watch list are being caught at the border. The numbers are higher than they've ever been, but they're still relatively low. Do you really think that every terrorist is on a terror watch list? Sleeper agents are unknown to us. That's why they're called sleepers. They may sit there for five years waiting for that phone call or the tap on the shoulder telling them that tomorrow's the day. But again, 19 hijackers, think of the damage they did. Think about what the Tsarnaev brothers did. Think about what happened in San Bernardino, California with that couple. Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber. And by the way, Faisal Shahzad got U.S. citizenship. Again, how do we adjudicate the applications for citizenship and green cards? It's not just about illegal aliens. I go on all these programs and people say to me, Mr. Cutler, we've got to talk about this problem with illegal aliens. No, we've got to talk about the problem with an immigration system that lacks integrity because the politicians lack integrity. I spoke at an event not long ago in New Jersey, and I asked the people, do you care how I came? In fact, I, I, I went with my son, my youngest son, and I like to, to hang out when we can. He's a, I have four wonderful kids. He still lives, uh, he, has, he lives in the, the apartment downstairs from us. Uh, and, and so, you know, we, we, we tend to be close. And occasionally he'll go with me. And so I asked this audience of people, I said, um, do you care how I came to New Jersey? Does it matter to you if I took the Lincoln Tunnel, the George Washington Bridge, the Verrazano Bridge? Does it matter if I took the Jersey Turnpike or the Garden State Parkway? Or maybe I, I didn't even get on the highway, but I, I just took the side streets. Does it matter to anybody? And they, they kind of looked at me, wondering what I was saying. They said, no, why, why should it matter? I said, well, does it matter how aliens enter the United States? If they come here to do harm to us or to violate our laws, does it matter if they stow away on a ship? Does it matter if they run the Mexican border or the Canadian border or land at an international airport? Their goal is to get here. At the end of the day, does it matter how they get here as long as they're able to get here and then do harm to us? And everybody in the room was, was surprised. They said, gee, we never thought of it that way. So now what's really remarkable, Biden is going to be meeting, believe it or not, with Trudeau to discuss what we're supposed to do with illegal aliens and try to run the, two, the border between the two countries. Now, it's interesting that Forbes magazine did a report on this. I've got to read the headline to you because it's crazy. Irregular border crossings to be addressed by Biden and Trudeau. Irregular border crossings? No, illegal border crossings, crossings without inspections, evading the inspections process, right? No, irregular border crossings. So if some guy walks into a bank, pulls out a gun and hands a teller a note that says, fill this bag with $100 bills, is that a robbery or an irregular withdrawal? Okay, think about it. Irregular border crossings? Are you serious? But we see this all the time. That's how the word undocumented came to be. Oh, they're not illegal. They're just undocumented. So I remember years ago I was debating this woman on MSNBC. And believe it or not, MSNBC probably had me on more in those days than any other network. They were very good about reporting on both sides of the issue, which is the way it's supposed to work, right? 
And this woman got very irate. Uh, I think she was with La Raza, perhaps, or the ACLU, or, you know, one of the usual suspects. And she said, Mr. Cutler, it's not right to call them illegal. They are undocumented. I said, are they really undocumented? She said, absolutely. I said, are you willing to admit that these people have no way of proving who they are when we're so concerned about terror attacks? This is only about a year or two after 9-11. When you say that they're undocumented, you're saying that they have no scorecard. And in this world, with all the risks we face, you cannot tell a good guy from a bad guy without a scorecard. Undocumented means they have no scorecard. And I said, I'm so pleased that you're willing to use that term, kind of turning the tables on her. Well, she looked very upset. She looked as though someone had just stepped on her foot or something. Do you know that within 48 hours, the ACLU, La Raza, and I believe the Bush administration also, because they were right up there with the globalists, stopped using the word undocumented for a while. They started to use the word unauthorized. And I thought, wow, that's pretty remarkable. We've gone from undocumented to unauthorized. In other words, Simon says, but Simon didn't say, so they're not authorized. It's an illegal activity. And it's really funny because a couple of weeks later, this was right after Labor Day weekend, there was a report on, I think, CBS radio about how a bunch of kids had gone swimming on a beach where they had put up a fence and said that the beach was closed. So the risk, of course, is that if they went swimming, there was no one there to rescue them if they ran into trouble. And the way that CBS described those swimmers was to say that they were illegal swimmers. And I thought, well, my goodness, if you could be an illegal swimmer, you could certainly be an illegal alien. But it's all about the language. It's right out of the pages of George Orwell. You've got the, the um, January 6th going on, and the Democrats demanding, why don't we have a 9-11 commission-style report to look at what happened on January 6th, while I think I mentioned earlier, while ignoring what happened at the White House, right? But they, they want a 9-11-style commission. Have they actually read the 9-11 commission? Because if they did, they would know that everything the Biden administration is doing right now not only ignores the 9-11 commission report, I wish they would ignore it. It's in direct opposition to the 9-11 commission report, including interior enforcement. Think about that. Including interior enforcement. So everything that's now happening is in violation of the 9-11 Commission report. And this, to me, is astonishing. And, and, and then, by the way, if you want to talk about the risks that we face here in the United States to ISIS, I wrote an article for Front Page Magazine, and this was back on November the 7th last year. I, I hope you'll all check these articles out. And please forward the links to as many of your friends as you can. Be part of my bucket brigade of truth former Defense Department contract translator arrested for alleged ties to ISIS. So here's a guy who was working for the military on a contract doing translation as they were interviewing people to decide if we could let them into the United States as refugees. Wow. Now, no one raised the issue of how did this guy beat the system, too, because if he's involved with ISIS, he probably lied about his affiliation with ISIS, so this guy should be facing criminal prosecution for committing immigration fraud. And, and then after jail, he should be deported from the United States. Do we really want an ISIS operative in our country? It's truly incredible. 
and, and what they what they charged him with is lying on his application for a security clearance, not lying on his application for have, perhaps for a green card. I mean, understand what we're dealing with here. So if you wonder why the FBI is requesting emergency funding to look for the Afghans that Joe Biden let in after we screwed up that departure from Afghanistan, look no further. So, again, I come back to the general's optimistic perspective. Oh, we don't have much to worry about in the, within the homeland. These people are here. What's preventing them from taking action in America if they are already here? And they're here by the thousands. And one of the issues that I raised in my article, again, I hope you read my latest article for front page. If a police officer in the heat of battle pulls his or her firearm and discharges around, <clears throat> they will be investigated eight ways from Sunday. And if it could be shown that they acted inappropriately, they could lose their job. They can be sued. They could be fired. They could be imprisoned. They face consequences. If a drunk driver gets behind the wheel of a car and mows people down, or someone in, engages in street racing, and by the way, if this isn't nutty, uh, there's now a program on the Discovery Channel that glorifies street racing. It's illegal. They're trying to get a handle on it across the country. When I say they, meaning law enforcement, because people are getting killed. You have lunatics racing each other on public streets. <laughs> what do they have on TV? A program that calls this the American dream because they're racing for money. My God, does it get crazier than that? But if, you involve, if you're involved in a street race and you kill somebody, you're going to jail. You're, you're, you're held accountable. If the doctor screws up in the operating room and we could prove that the doctor screwed up, the doctor can lose his license or her license. They could be sued. They can be criminally prosecuted if it, raises, if it, if it gets to that level of, of, of malpractice. How many thousands of Americans, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of Americans have been killed because of bail reform, because of a failure to keep drugs out of the United States? The list goes on and on and on. Aliens who were released when there were detainers lodged, back when immigration actually did its job before Biden came in. How many politicians have gone to jail because their decisions cost Americans their lives? Think about that. Nothing happens to the politicians. Nothing happens to the politicians. Maybe they'll lose the next election, but maybe not. But that's the extent of their liability. A cop shoots one person in the heat of the moment where his or her life is on the line, as is the lives of their partners and innocent bystanders. And if it's determined that they overreacted or did something wrong, they can face a world of hurt. What happens to politicians who order the release of thousands of criminal, criminals or criminal aliens or whatever? Absolutely bupkis, nothing. Why is it that that's the only job that you could have where you can screw up, cost lots of people their lives, and face no consequences for it? Isn't that a fair question? I think it's a fair question. The politicians running around saying, defund the police, get rid of the police. Well, those decisions are costing people their lives. And you know, what's really remarkable is that in a lot of municipalities, they are decriminalizing resisting arrest. And I really believe this is being done because I think, maybe I'm being you know, cynical here, 
But I think that that's the goal, to have more of these incidents so they have more justification for more radical outrage on their part. Because if you look at the circumstance precedes instances where the cops wind up shooting, injuring somebody or whatever, generally it's because the person did not comply with a lawful order. Sir, pull over, get out of the car. Guy doesn't. There's a fight. There's a car chase. Whatever. It all starts with the person not responding to what the cop or the federal agent is telling them to do. Get out of the car, put your hands behind your back, whatever. The person fails to comply. Now there's a battle. In the heat of the battle, something terrible happens. You would think that you would want to increase the penalties for resisting arrest, not remove the penalties. You would want to give somebody a serious moment of of pause to say, gee whiz, I don't think I want to resist arrest because if they catch up with me, I'm looking at five years in jail for resisting arrest. It's not worth it. On the other hand, when you say to them, we're not going to prosecute you for resisting arrest, you're going to have some guys say, well, if I can get away from this cop, I don't have anything to worry about, that's great. Well, sooner or later, something terrible is going to happen. And then it's going to be all over the media, and there'll be more screaming about why we need more police reform rather than we need common sense to make certain that the laws are enforced so that we protect the lives of everybody involved. You would think it's common sense. But again, we come back to the fact that the politicians are not accountable. And I want to know a simple thing. If, God forbid, there's a terrorist attack, and it could be shown that the terrorists came across the southern border, or it could be shown that the person was given U.S. citizenship at the time that Mayorkas was there demanding that the applications be approved. And he's at it again, by the way. I wrote an article not long ago when he said that citizenship and immigration services and ICE would not pursue cases of immigration fraud when people lie to get citizenship because now that they're citizens, they deserve the full protection of the federal government. Somebody who lies to get citizenship should be stripped of citizenship. That's what the law says, and they could be looking up to 20 years in jail. That's a felony. This isn't a game. <clears throat> but Mayorkas said, no, if you lie, we're okay with that. You know, when our guys raided the Bin Laden compound in his library, they found a copy of the 9-11 Commission report and a copy of an application for citizenship. We know that many of the terrorists became naturalized citizens before they carried out their attacks. And they were told to do that by their handlers overseas. I mentioned the the, you know, Faisal Shazad, I mentioned the Tarnayev brothers. One of the two brothers had a green card. The other one had actually just gotten his citizenship. We're giving the keys to the kingdom to people without knowing who in the world they are. We're facilitating their movement around the world. It endangers not only America, but our allies. That's how serious this is. And when was the last time you heard anybody talk about immigration fraud? When was the last time you heard about any politician talking about interior enforcement other than Donald Trump? Trump said not only would he hire more Border Patrol, but he would hire many, many, many more ICE agents. And that's right, because ICE agents, and having been an immigration agent, don't just arrest illegal aliens. They investigate immigration fraud. They go after the employers. They go after criminal aliens. They go after people who produce counterfeit documents. It's the interior mission that is supposed to give integrity to the entire immigration system. The Border Patrol is important, but all they do is interdict people trying to sneak into the country. They're like school crossing guards. They're not trying to minimize what they do. It's dangerous, important work. But once you get past the border, the Border Patrol mission ends. This is all about ICE and interior enforcement. And we have 
6,000 ICE agents, and under the best of circumstances, because of the way that George Bush put DHS together, you only effectively have maybe 2,000 ICE agents for the whole country. You basically have no interior enforcement under the best of circumstances, and that's by design. That's why I keep saying, when people say instead of 87,000 IRS agents, we need 87,000 Border Patrol agents, I have a better idea. 87,000 ICE agents with all the resources they need to do an effective job. It's also the ICE agents, by the way, who are part of the Joint Terrorism Task Force. They're part of the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, where I spent 10 years, my final 10 years of my career. These task forces are vital, and it's about synergy that the, the group working as a whole are more effective than each individual group if you just added them up. It's a synergistic situation, and immigration is a critical issue when we're dealing with foreign nationals involved with terrorism and drug trafficking and gangs. And we have virtually no resources because immigration is the sacred cow. It's all about the cheap labor. It's all about clients for immigration law firms. It's all about clients for these NGOs. It's about jacking up the price of real estate because the more people who come here, the more there's pressure on housing. And it's about destroying the wages for Americans by flooding the labor pool with foreign workers who are willing to accept third world wages and third world working conditions. So we come back to that fundamental question that I asked earlier. How are these policies in the best interests of the average American citizen? That's the question that no one ever seems to ask the politicians. That's the question we, the people, should be demanding be asked of our politicians. We should be asking those questions at town hall meetings. We should be reaching out to the journalists and asking them, why in the world aren't you asking that question? Because Lincoln talked about a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Then how in the world are these decisions and policies in the best interests for we, the people? Questions, I tell you, that's the, the real key to all of this, knowing what question to ask, how to ask it, when to ask it, and what follow-up question needs to be asked. I call that the art of the question. I thank you for spending the last hour with me. I hope that my program is of interest and helpful to you. Please have conversations with your neighbors. And let's not get involved in name-calling or insults. We as Americans should all be able to come to an agreement that laws that are designed to not be controversial, but common sense. Remember, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. Get involved, and let's make sure that we make the politicians accountable and send them the clear message that we're not the fools that they've been playing this for. That's the job every American must do. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay well, stay safe, and we'll see you next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. So long, everybody.